Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with my inebriated co-hosts. Um, <laughs> now, inebriated now. co-host MJ. You don't know what that is? No, I don't. It's just- yeah, it's it's people who do podcasts while they're drinking sangria. <laughs> yeah. that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, that's me. <laughs> yeah, there it is. No, no, while after. after. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> um, I don't know which is better. Pre pre inebriated. Pre inebriated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Um, today we're continuing our series on um, why ATA does not teach certain parts of the enneagram, and we wanted to kind of. Start. I, I can. Can I just yeah. step in here? It's it's not that we don't teach certain parts of the enneagram. It's that we don't teach certain things that other people teach as part of the enneagram from their perspective. You just don't teach eights. That's that's. <laughs> or maybe you only teach eights. That's that's, that's right. It. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Let's let's be clear on our terms. Blah, yada yada yada. Um, so we were gonna start, not start over again, because no one wants to go back. Um, but Mario, we we talked about this um, over the week of the categories that you put some of these ideas in, and I think it's really helpful because we're gonna not all not everything we're talking about is completely and utterly false and not useful and harmful. So there's a spectrum here that that I thought was really helpful with how you uh, laid this out. So you, could you share that with us? There are two kinds of explanations, okay? There are explanations that have been demonstrated to be wrong, and there are explanations that have not yet demonstrated to be wrong. Okay? Is this because, a, a popper moment? Well, I, you know, I wasn't going to drop <laughs> names here, but... Uh, <laughs> So, so it's a popper moment. Uh, so so, so uh, we, we have evolved from the big word moment yes. to the popper moment. Yeah. Uh, this is a popper uh, moment. All right. All right. So the idea being that, you know, as we always say, the Enneagram is a model, okay? And all models are wrong, but some are useful. Every explanation, every hypothesis, every scientific theory is the best existing explanation, and those explanations will eventually be, you know, sort of upgraded, evolved, so forth. Okay. So when we're talking about Enneagram theory, um, all of it's wrong. Okay. Right. I mean, because it's it's not something real. It's a model, it's an explanation. And so what we're looking to do is find out what are the best explanations for certain phenomena that um, solve a particular problem that we're trying to solve. And that is, you know, help people develop self-awareness that they can apply, use, and so forth. Okay. So with some of the ideas associated with the Enneagram, they fall into a category of useful could be better or useful up to a point, but then at that point start to become problematic. Now, some of them are easily falsifiable and wrong. Okay, uh, So there are these different categories that we would put the things that we don't teach into. Those are the, you know, some of them are factually wrong, right? This idea that there's three instincts, okay? Factually wrong. The idea that the Enneagram is thousands of years old, Etc. Etc. The Enneagram personality is not thousands of years old. It did not come from the Sufis. Those statements are factually wrong. Okay, you know we 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 can say that. There are some things that are redundant, and that's what we talked about with the wings last time, 
right? That um, it's not so much whether they're wrong or not, because again, it's just a way of explaining something. So it's they're all wrong by definition, but we think it's redundant. So why add an element of complexity that can better be explained through a different variable? Some things just make things more complex. Okay? Uh, Tri-type, I'll put into that category. I think we're going to talk about that today. Just I, I, why? Okay, wh why are we doing that uh, is my question. And then some things just aren't suited. You know, the vices and virtues, for example, the traditional Enneagram, really useful stuff, okay? But don't go over that well in organizations because, you know, I mean, how do you sit there around and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm the lust type, which are you, right? It's just, you know, it just doesn't work. So four basic categories, factually wrong, redundant, complexifying, and unsuitable. And it doesn't just mean, it's not just an organization. Sometimes there's like, I, I can't, oh. I can't talk about certain things with strangers. Like it just would be kind of inappropriate in a party setting <laughs> yeah. to be like, yeah, this is yeah. how you're messed up. Yeah, my big issue is around lust. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, Everyone I, backs I, away I'm, slowly. I'm Mario. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm Mario. You know, I, you know, or, you know. So. Yeah, and, and when we talk about some things being problematic, I think that it's maybe we, I mean, with examples, it's easier to understand why they're problematic. But in my in my experience, certain things, certain models uh, or certain ideas about the Enneagram are useful and some people really like them because they have found uh, they have found them to be very useful in their lives. Their experience is that it works, but we're not looking at how many people are being mistyped or are being confused because of those same ideas. And I think, in my in my opinion, I think that that's why they might be. That's one of the reasons why they're problematic. It's not that it's a bad idea in and of itself, but when you are saying that a certain type is this or acts like that, it works for certain people, but some people don't resonate with that, and they might think, "Oh, maybe I'm not that type," and maybe they are. So we need to be careful with how many ideas or other models we link back, we map back to the Enneagram because yeah. it confuses a lot of people. And for the people who works, it makes sense and it's useful, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work for everyone. And we yeah. need to be careful about that. Yeah. And by mapping back to the Enneagram, you mean mapping it back to a specific type? Yeah, like I'm talking about the triads and things like that. So we talk about the harmonic triads or the um, Hornivian triads or things like that. So if we say that all the ones are compliant or things like that, it's we need to be careful. Yeah. Because yeah. some people who do not see themselves as such say, well, so I'm not compliant? I mean... I don't see myself a complete, maybe I am, or maybe I'm not a one. So it leaves out a lot of people because of these mapping of different models to the Enneagram. Yeah, it's, it, it's tricky because the more detailed you try to get and the more specific you try to be, the more people you're going to miss, which is what Mario is saying. Okay, so figure 
we've got nine basic types, three instinctual biases. So you've got 27 versions of people according to the Enneagram. Now we take the 8 billion people on the planet and you overlay them onto the profile of 27 and that's a whole lot of people on each one, right? I'd need a calculator to come even anywhere close to that. But um, it's it's you're trying to describe a lot of people. And so you have to stay as close as possible to first principles on this. And so if we talk about threes, for example, and we start with striving to feel outstanding, there's a lot of directions we could go with that and still be talking about the same thing and talking about all threes. In fact, for us, that's the definition of a three. Somebody who, of all the nine strategies, this is the one they use the most. But when you start to talk about threes are like this and threes are like that and threes do this and threes do that, you're starting to get into the terrain where, like Marie Jose said, you start to lose people because they say, oh, yeah, well, I don't do that, right? You know, you sent me a meme uh, creek uh, recently about fives, right? And it was clearly something that just cert- you know did not take the subtypes into account, right? He's making this generalization about fives that you know was just off the mark, probably for two thirds of fives because it's making this assumption on things. So you have to be really careful about the claims you make, and this is this is really the point of all this for us. It's not so much that we're focused on, oh, well, that's wrong and that's wrong and all these sort of things. It's like, no, you have to be careful about the claims that you make and how robust they are and how well they hold up to a skeptical, critical thinking and smart audience, okay? And then stick with those claims that work and let go of the ones that don't. And how much do they they hold up with those kind of audiences, but with the audience that it's with the relevant audience? So if yeah. you're saying that all eights are like this, well, do all eights see themselves as such or resonate with that? Or are you really considering all of eights or not only the ones who resonate with it and leaving the other ones out, which is like the not to the not uh, true Scotman, Scotsman uh, fallacy, you know? If you don't resonate with it, then you're not an ape. Well, that's a simplistic way of seeing it, but it's not accurate. And that's why we stay or we stick to the fundamentals of it and we try to not uh, put so many layers because the more layers you put, which is fun, Look, I've been not, I haven't been working with anyone for 25 years like Mari has. 30. But for 15. Saying 30. 30, yeah, 30, so okay. Well, you're really, really old now. But, wow. uh, <laughs> but over 15 years. And, <laughs> and I've seen so many people trying to combine the Enneagram with other models. So many people. Because it's fun. Because it's a human thing to try to do that. But the value it provides, you have to weight it against how much it diminishes the value it adds to, as a model, to the people who are using the Enneagram. You know, it's, it's fun, but it's dangerous. And we need to be aware of that. 
There's also this view that the Enneagram can be used to explain everything, right? And I still hear Enneagram teachers saying that, right? Oh, oh, J.G. Bennett said that, Gurdjieff said that, you know, if you understand the Enneagram, then you can throw away all the books because now all the knowledge will be, you know, free to, you know, whatever. Uh, That's just stupid. Okay, that's just stupid nonsense. And of course, the Enneagram doesn't explain everything. Of course, not everything is relevant to the Enneagram. So why don't we use it for what it's worth, okay? Use it for what it's strong at, and then use other things for other things. So yeah, it's fun to, oh, I wonder if there's any overlay between the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. Yeah, that's an interesting question, okay? You know, the people who've done real research on this find that there's not. That's also my anecdotal experience. But, you know, it's it's a, it's an interesting question to ask. And it uh, and I'm sure it could it could um give some interesting observations of the self. But that doesn't Sure. If it's diminishing the value of the two things that you're bringing together, like it's not elevating it to a higher level than them being separate, then then right. we need to look at it, yeah. Yeah, and it's the same thing with the language. You know, it's if you're using a word that restricts the application or the value of the concept, then we need to change the word. And that's why we use other mm-hmm. words, so like transmitting, which is broader than sexual. Mm-hmm. It includes sexual. Or navigating, which somehow includes social, but it's not just social. It's not just like a um, desire to be unique or (laughs) to um, have different words. It's wanting to explain things better. Mm. Uh, Same thing with the model. We need to be careful because if we use the word, a word that leaves people out, who should not be left out, then we need to change the word. I think it's always good. It's always good to take a moment and imagine somehow that someone proved the Enneagram completely false. And <laughs> those emotions will arise of like, well, crap. Um, I, I've, I've invested so much time in this. I may be making money from this. Like I, there's so many different things. And, and what would you do if it was false? And if you're clinging on to it, then then that's that's a sign of something. It's a sign of some level of attachment that isn't allowing you to see clearly. Um, if it's just a tool, then yeah, when it ceases to be useful, you can let it go. Yeah. So you're absolutely correct, Creek. And and the the way I see it is, you can't really prove the enneagram wrong. Sure. Right. Because all the depending on what claim you're mm-hmm. making, right? And so, if you're saying that there is a way to cl- to group people into nine categories, okay, uh, and you can extrapolate certain things once you categorize them, okay. Well, that, that's that's a claim you can't say that's wrong because you, you know you can you can come up with any model you want of categorizing mm-hmm. people 
right? You know, all people born on a Tuesday are a certain way, you know, sort of thing. But then you have to examine your claims. So if you say all people born on a Tuesday are, you know, you know, ravishingly handsome, well, you find people who are, you know, born on Tuesdays and you test, you know. Or whether, in August. Well, I, I, I don't, look, I have no idea what day I was born, so I wasn't referring to myself, but. No, well, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but in August you do. But it, Well, in August, yeah, so. Uh, so, you know, and with the Enneagram, so you've got to ask what kind of claim are we making related to it? And I think that's where it gets challenging because the more claims you make, the bigger those claims are, the more robust they have to be and the more uh, scrutiny they have to withhold. And so for me, you know, to say, okay, there are certain people who, you know, seem to interact with the world by striving to be powerful. And there are others who strive to feel unique and others who strive to feel perfect. And we call the first group eights just for a you know, linguistic convenience and the next four and the next one. Okay, great. All right? It's not a matter of can I, you know, is that wrong or not? It's just how useful an explanation it is. Now, if I say, well, humans have three brains. Okay. Or if I say that, you know, this comes from the reptile brain or something like that. Well, now we're getting into matters of fact that are objectively wrong or right, and we can analyze them mm-hmm. accordingly. Okay. So it's not so much, so I, I hear what you're saying, and I think we all have to be willing to say, am I making any claims that don't stand up, or am I making any claims that are wrong? I think the question is as well, is this a tool is this a tool or an identity? And how closely yeah. am I being identified with this tool as who I am? Yeah. Also yeah. I was born on a Tuesday. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I was born on a Wednesday, so it's <laughs> uh, you don't want to hear what we say yeah. about born on a Wednesday. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we we've this is a this is a good precursor, and I think we the reason we wanted to talk about this is many people have found the stuff that we're talking about to to be useful in their own personal growth and the relationships and that sort of thing. And we aren't necessarily saying, "Hey, you should recant," or uh, <laughs> <laughs> or else recant or <laughs> yeah. burn. Like yeah. that's that's silly. It's nonsense. But what we are saying is like there there's there's a level of usefulness and to hold some of these things lighter than maybe how you're holding them. Um take the usefulness and then leave the rest. Yeah, and and we need to be careful in that we are developing theory and teaching it. So it's different to people who are only using mm-hmm. it. So That's I understand fair. that people who who are users and find value in something. And we're the suppliers. It's their experience. <laughs> we're the suppliers well, and they're the users. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's a different role, yeah. you know? Yeah. And these, I mean, people who find the usefulness of particular approaches, it's valid. Now, from our end, we need to make sure that it holds up, that it applies to everyone of a particular type before making a claim that applies to a type. And we need to be more careful about all mm-hmm. of these things. Yeah. And if we're teaching what we know and how we think, we have to share these things. Mm-hmm. 
completely agree with what uh, both of you said. For anybody who's serious about this, and, and I would think that includes anybody listening to an Enneagram podcast, right? I mean, you know, this is not like, you know, channel surfing or something and you say, oh, let me, you know, let me sit and spend an hour with these idiots. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it's, so if you take this seriously, shouldn't you want to get closer to the truth? Shouldn't you want to get closer to understanding how things fully work? And the only way we do that is by finding errors in the things that we think until we can't find any, you know, anymore, or at least for a while. There you go, insert. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Um, so, um, so, you know, for me, it's not just, oh, well, we work with business people and they're going to say, hey, you know, that's not. No, I want to know the truth. I want to know why I do the things that I do. I want to know why the people around me do the things that they do. And the more barnacles on the ship, you know, the, 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 you know, the less clearly I see the ship. So, you know, I think it's in our interest to question ideas. So, yeah, if, if something works for you, that, that's great, okay? But I don't know. I mean, wouldn't you like something that works better sure. for you? Yeah. Last last analogy, metaphor, and then we yeah. can get into sure, the actual right. content. Eventually, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. see about that. But yeah, I on. often think of um, when I when I meditate. Sometimes I, it's helpful to imagine metaphorically, like if I'm trying to relax my shoulders, like ice to water, water to gas, and if I take that to be real instead of a metaphor. And then I start extrapolating what having ice in my shoulders means. That's when we get, maybe it's useful in relaxing my shoulders, but if we make it, if we concretize it, and then we start building things off of that concretization, that's when we start getting into some troubled waters. It's like, it's maybe useful, but it's not accurate. And we as teachers need to make sure that we are, hey, this is a metaphor that helps or this is a this is a way of thinking about something that helps with this situation doesn't necessarily mean that it is quote unquote real or quote unquote exactly foolproof in in its application yeah yeah absolutely and I, and i think the, the the question or the thing we have to watch out for the thing we have to ask first is how robust is this idea that i'm teaching meaning how much scrutiny does it hold up to? At what point do people start to say, okay, yeah, that's interesting, but wait a minute, what about this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, oh, you know, uh, two, three, and four are heart types. Okay, oh, that's cool. Hey, wait a minute, what three's a heart type? What does that mean, you know? And, you got, and then you have to start contorting and so forth. And so the sooner you have to start contorting or rationalizing or justifying or, you know, whatever, the less utility the model has. And so we we have to continually ask ourselves, okay, how far will this take me? When does it become a distraction? When does it undermine the point that I'm trying to make? And if that's too soon, then maybe we should let go of it. Okay. I, I, I'll give a, a quick example here. So my, my second son is a real smart kid. When he was little, I think he was about three years old, um, I took him and his brothers to a um, uh, Barnes and Noble and got them books. And so he got a, uh, 
a pop-up book, you know, the, the history of the universe. A pop-up book? book? Pop-up book. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know, you open it up and, you know, the pages pop up and the things, you know, and it would make this noise. And so the first one he opened, first page you open up is Big Bang, right? The Big Bang. So you open it and it goes, you know, the sound of the Big Bang. So How? I'm not I don't going to think there's the sound in space, but go ahead. That well, this is true, but there was sound in the book. Okay, so um, so he says to me, uh, now he's three years old. He's strapped into a car seat in the back of the car. And he says, "Dad, what you know? What caused the Big Bang?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's a great question. We don't really know yet." Okay, and he's thinking for a moment, and he says, "Hmm." Maybe somebody shot it out of a gun. Okay? <laughs> and I said, you know, maybe, Alec, you know, we just, I'm not sure that that would be it. So for him, as a three-year-old, oh, okay, the, the, I can move on now because I'll just tell myself maybe somebody shot it out of a gun, okay? But, you know, he's he's a science major in college now, okay? Maybe somebody shot it out of a gun is not as useful Robust. an answer as robust an answer right so you know have as you asked go, him well, <laughs> yeah, we need to have <laughs> him true. on <laughs> this is true he's coming home this weekend i really should check up on this see where my money's going right so yeah it's with that i was gonna say out of the way but that was a very important part i think <laughs> of helping people understand where we're coming from and and let me just touch on something here while we're on the topic right so uh, you, you know I can get worked up about these things because I take them seriously, right? And I, you know, and and I under, I would no more get angry at my three-year-old son for suggesting that they came out of a, you know, the Big Bang came out of a gun than I would for somebody, you know, passing along something that they learned about the Enneagram that they found useful, you know. I'm not going to get angry at them because they think wings are helpful, that sort of thing. But... I would like to see Enneagram teachers question their concepts more and be more open to the idea that maybe some ideas are not as robust as we think they are. Maybe some ideas are outdated. Maybe some it's time to start seeing some things in a different way. Yeah, for sure. To me, there's so much value that I still don't, I'm still not, able to see the full scope of how much the strategies and the instinctual biases bring, especially the instinctual biases, that it's such a waste of time for me to even try to look at other models that could build Mm -hmm. on top of these things. I Every time I work with instinctual biases and apply it to different audiences or levels or this or that, I see more value. Mm. So I'm just so excited and interested in digging deeper there that I see, I have no interest in anything else, especially if it doesn't Mm -hmm. hold up. But there's so much still on the basic stuff that we have not Mm. kind of uncovered. I don't want to say uncovered because it seems like it's there, but that we have not reached its full potential. Mm -hmm that I'm not interested. And and it's not like you don't understand these other things. I mean, you did no, five no, no. weeks of research Hudson training. Yeah. Right? So, you know, it's you studied all these things, but you came to realize, yeah, I just don't have any use for that. 
know? Well, it, it you know, when you start looking at the theory, you see, oh, yes, this applies to me. And you can see moments and yeah. things that apply to you. I know, look, I've gone through that. But is it simple enough that I can mm -hmm. think about it and use it all the time? No. As I said, does it leave people out because it doesn't apply to them? Well, that doesn't work for me as a teacher. Is it relevant enough? You know, and to me, the strategies and especially the instinctual biases, working with in kind of in the real world, it is so rich, so useful, so impactful that I just don't see how it can compare to these other layers mm -hmm. that some people want to put. And, and I think that's kind of, with my experience with the Enneagram thus far, type was the only thing up to this point that was obvious as a way of working on oneself. The, the instincts or instinctual biases were never, to me, weren't that clear on how they were more just an identifier than, and then a way I couldn't manipulate them as easily as far as like, how do I leverage this or counterbalance this in yeah. my own personal growth? So in some ways it's just like, I think a lot of people, myself included, are still just like instinctual biases. There's a lot here and I'm, and it's still like you all have been working with it for so long that you see the value in it. But I think for a lot of people, it's just like, Oh, another identifier without any practical application. Yeah, look, I, I'm going to do a, uh, a session with a, you know, an executive group shortly. And they've asked me to briefly introduce the instinctual biases and then talk about the nine types. And there's a part of me that's thinking you would get so much more benefit out of spending more time in the beginning on the instinctual biases because you can start to see how that shapes so much of an organization, of an individual's, you know, strengths and vulnerabilities. I mean, it's just like, man, I'm just leaving mm -hmm. so much on the table by not talking about this. And you're absolutely right, Creek. Most people have no clue on what to do with this stuff because far too many people are not practitioners who actually do extended long-term work with people in a, mm -hmm. you know, a more challenging environment. Okay. Um, you know, I, I can't, you know, lots of people I know, they, they do, I go, I go around and do Enneagram workshops. I, I pop in, you know, the, the people show up, I do my, you know, my thing and then I leave. I don't have any interaction with them. So I don't get a chance mm -hmm. for people saying, Hey, wait a minute. What about, you know, hold on, just, you know, no, there's none of that. Or to see mm -hmm. if these ideas hold up over time, okay? With the way we mm -hmm. work with people, we get that opportunity, right? We have long-term ongoing engagements with them. And, you know, this is why I started saying, hey, wait a minute, this, you know, idea doesn't work because over the course of nine months of working with somebody, mm -hmm. you know, you start mm -hmm. to see that it's not working. Yeah, no, that's great. I think as we're jumping into these next few topics, I'll I'll say like I I previously did find some level of help in all of these, and 
I think as as general wisdom, it's really great. But but attaching it to a specific type, maybe there maybe there is a a curve in some way that you, there's a tendency to uh, like for the harmonic groupings, like to in in conflict resolution style, to have more of a positive outlook for nine twos and sevens, perhaps. But really, I think what's more valuable than attaching it to a number is looking at the wisdom that like these three approaches can influence how you approach a difficult conversation and finding the third option that isn't present. Um, I know it's often like in the harmonic groupings, it's if like you have like a, a one and a two, one being the rational competency versus positive outlook. It's like, well, maybe we should check out our emotions maybe we're we're avoiding some sort of emotion in this conflict and that's useful it's useful that that you yeah, you look at hey we're having this conflict not because we hate each other but because we actually love each other and it's going to be okay on the other side of this it's really important in conflict and then emotional real, realness it's like yeah let's let's understand where we're each coming from emotionally and be honest with that and recognize the other person's emotions and then rational competency it's like yeah there's some there's some facts that we can figure out. There's some miscommunication that we had, and let's look at things efficiently and factually, and and find the solution to this conflict. And all of those are just basic getting along together things. Yeah, I think that part of what these models provide is distinctions of how to see reality, and like the body centers. I mean, like the centers. It's body, uh, emotion, and kind of thinking. Well, it is useful to think about these three domains of our behavior. The same that it's useful to see, to think about the breakdowns of the different models that we're talking about here, that some people claim to be correlated to the Enneagram. It is always useful as distinctions of how to approach different situations. Does that mean that one of these things is related completely to one particular type and all that, that's when it becomes a problem. We don't see a problem in the model itself, I think. It's just when we make some kind of simplistic correlations with the Enneagram, which apply to Mm -hmm. some people, but not to everyone and not all the time. So for me, you know, what you're talking about with these so-called harmonic things, and again, if thinking the Big Bang got shot out of the barrel of a gun is useful and helps and that sort of thing, that's great. That's part of the stage. I'm hoping that takes people on to deeper and more robust understanding of what makes a healthy relationship and what doesn't. The reason we don't teach those things is because if we take, for example, the uh, what's the category here? The uh, the the seven, the nine, two, and two seven, and the nine, positive outlook. nine, two, and seven, the positive outlook type. Okay, so there are nines who are not particularly positive outlook people. Okay, there are sevens, as we've talked about in you know other. I think the subtype episode. There are sevens who you get them home, and positive outlook is the last thing you would necessarily associate with them, because they're also a quote unquote frustration type, right? So they're bitching about everything. Okay, they're bitching about all the things they're disappointed about. They're bitching about all the things that are you know they didn't get that they want. 
that's not really a positive outlook. So, you know, when we look at the surface of a seven and we look at sevens from the outside, oh, they seem so happy all the time and so they must be positive, blah, blah, blah. Except that they're really not. And so, you know, again, and so these models, they start to break after a while. And you get mistyping because, well, wait a minute, this, you know, this guy complains all the time. He can't be a seven. Got to be a one, right? Uh, because we know ones are such a pain in the, you know, it's like, man, Of course man, they man, are. Man, right? so, you know, Some ones, not yeah, me, but no, all, no, all the others. Yeah, right. Because well, you know. you're unique. So, yeah. so yes. you must be yes. a four. All right. I yes. am. <laughs> So, uh, I'm torn between seven and four. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so this is the thing. Again, it's like, okay, it works to a point, and then it starts to not only break down, but cause confusion. Okay. Well, this person can't be a nine because they're depressed, and nines are a positive outlook type. And how can somebody who's a positive outlook type be depressed? You, you know? So it, it's like... But but you know what? Yeah. If you really believe in it, you will have an explanation for it. You can rationalize anything, you know? And so, you know, again, for us, look, if it works for you, great. Okay? The reason we don't teach it is because in our experience, it breaks down really fast and causes more problems, more questions than it brings clarity to. And it adds a layer of complexity that has nine more things for somebody to remember when they're not looking to become Enneagram experts anyway. Mm -hmm. All right, so the next triad we're going to talk about is the Hornivian triads, also known as social styles. So we have three, seven, and eights, supposedly aggressive or moving against, future, expansive. Those are some of the terms. Um, one Assertive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, two, and six, dependent, moving toward, present, adaptive. Uh, yeah, that describes a one, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Four, five, and nine right, go, is go withdrawn, moving away, past retraction. These are, like, in the past, these have been interesting as, like, as, again, as turning the diamond of, like, what parts of these do I relate to and what parts do I not and then it does show some things. I haven't found them very useful personally in other than, yeah, sure. I, I, there are times in which I do withdraw. It's like, oh, I'm noticing I'm withdrawing. Um, but there's also times when I am rather assertive and there's times when I'm dependent too. So it, it doesn't, and it's like, it's more of like a noticing, but it doesn't lead me towards any sort of action or growth. Yeah. But again, I'm sure there's ways in which people are using this for some level of growth. Sure. They, well, I, I can't speak to how people, you know, are using it that I, I'm not aware of. But look, what you just described, Creek, is confirmation bias. Okay. You know, you said, yeah, I, I can be withdrawn and I can be aggressive. Right. So what happens is that every time somebody sees you withdrawing, they say, oh, look, he's a withdrawn type. And every time they see you being aggressive, they don't say anything because they probably don't see it and they don't have some box to put it into. So because they keep noticing this thing, they start labeling you as a withdrawn type, even though you're doing all of these things, but because of confirmation bias, we don't see mm -hmm. it. Okay, And then we start making assumptions and then we start making accusations that are not that, you know, 
Sure. Useful. Uh, so yeah, and they might say that you're acting in a particular way, but your nature is more withdrawn or whatever. And there's so there's so many ways to explain and rationalize mm-hmm. an idea that yeah. yeah. And I so right. Oh, so I'll just I'll just lay this out. Right. I could see how like I could see how four or five like nines right striving to feel peaceful. In order for peace to maintain, they need to make uh, what is it? Molehill molehills out of mountains, right? It's it's withdrawing parts of themselves to keep the peace. And five striving to feel detached. Well, obviously, you're gonna in order to be detached, you have to withdraw yourself from a situation. And and like being unique, yeah, you have to withdraw yourself from the the common plebes in order to be unique. So what's uh, sure? I guess that that is justification, but. Do your worst. It's contortion. <laughs> well, it's 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 describing piece of the picture, right? It, yeah. You know. Now we can argue that the whole enneagram is about this, right? So, uh, you know, we could say, you know, I'm not always striving to feel powerful. Okay, I, I imagine, you know, I got to sleep, right? So, um, <laughs> so oh man (laughs) and i also have to be more powerful (laughs) yeah right so i better get some (laughs) but see here's my bigger issue with the hornavian groupings okay so this comes from karen horni the you know a follower of freud i i I don't know how far she removed i i think she was a direct student although i'm not positive and she wrote a number of books including one called our inner conflicts and this is where she introduces this idea of these, you know, uh, interactive styles, social styles. And she's very clear to say, this is not a typology. Nobody does any of these things more than, you know, nobody does any of these things exclusively. Do not, and there's a footnote mm. at the bottom of the page that says, do not use this as a typology. Mm. Because she knew that she's talking about broad tendencies, and as broad tendencies, yeah, they're right. Look, I am more likely to go against something than, say, you are, mm-hmm. Greg. Okay. Now, I don't know if I could say the same thing about Maria Jose, right? You know, ones get put into this compliant thing. I don't know, man. I know some pretty assertive ones. Okay. Um, Never so, seen Maria Jose compliant. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, and, and then people say, oh, well, she's compliant to her superego. Sure. Ah, come on, man. You know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, if, if we have to work that hard. <laughs> right? Sure. So for if me, the explanation is too long. Yes. Yes. Mm. So for me, it's like, uh, okay, well, well it's just, sure. Yeah. All right. But, but I can't teach this to people in good conscience because it just doesn't hold up strong enough mm-hmm. and long enough. Yeah. And... Maybe you said it already and I was not paying attention, but uh, are we counting for the 27 subtypes and not just Mm. the nine Mm. types? Right. And that brings a whole new dimension to the types. So are nines withdrawn? But what about a transmitting nine? Is a transmitting nine assertive? Is a transmitting six compliant? Compliant. Or is it just a rebel? when the authority is not to be trusted or, you know, so it's, we need to be careful. There's a lot more nuance when you 
take into consideration the instinctual biases, and I mean, the 27 subtypes. And it's really, really hard to make a case for the ninth types to map back to a particular concept related to another model. Mm-hmm. I've got an idea here that might be worth keeping um, for future Doubtful versions not, of this conversation. Or, or not, not, right? So, or but not. I'll, I'll propose it. These ideas aren't, quote unquote, wrong. They're just not right enough. Okay? They don't have enough explanatory power. They don't have enough robustness to, you know, to, to merit inclusion in the canon. Mm. All right. So uh, the next triad we're going to talk about is harmony triads. A couple different names. You got object relations, others like dominant affect groups. I guess technically harmony triads and object relations are different because uh, there are there is like different names. So like the nine three six, it's either the the pragmatists that would be the harmony triad, and then the attachment would be the object relations. Eight two five relationist object attachment would be rejection, and one four seven would be idealists. I stopped Frust- listening like five minutes ago. Me too. I, I, yeah, I thought I, it I was. Just, you know, it was just me. <laughs> well, I think that's a you problem. <laughs> um, no, it, it, and don't take no, it personally. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's some interesting. There's some interesting. Okay, object relations are with my, of my knowledge. Object relations in psychology is an actual legitimate, interesting thing. To observe, yeah. it's 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 last decades trauma. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, well, now everybody but talks about today, trauma. It's and, trauma, uh, the big know, thing. Got it. And okay. a decade last ago, decade. everybody was talking about object yeah. relations, and prior to that, it was something else. So, okay, yeah, it's now yes, it's generally accepted as a robust idea, and there's criticisms of it mm-hmm. as well. And I, you know, for me, it's like all right great if that works for you i'm sure there's something there there's a lot to you know about attachment theory that you know and attachment theory is a bit different from object relations but um you know but it's like okay sure you know when i when i was exploring what my preferred strategy was and at the time it's just type and uh, the person who taught me the enneagram <clears throat> Um, we were talking and I said, because I came out as a seven, I think I've shared this before, uh, in the first test that I took. And she said, you cannot be a seven because that would mean that your mom, your mother didn't pay enough attention to you or something like that. How can you (laughs) define your type based on what your relationship with your mother was supposed to be? Now, I'm not a seven, and she was right, I'm not a seven. But not because my mother was this way or that way. It's because I don't have behaviors of a seven. So when you use these, again, models to define a type, you leave a lot of people out. You know, I had a client, I I had a client who saw himself as a two, and a lot of things resonated with him, but when the teacher who was familiar and liked these attachment and object relations and things like that explained what his relationship with his mother was, like a fact, because he was a two, he said, like, what are you talking about? 
my relationship with my mother was not that. So am I not a two? Hmm. Or am I missing something yeah. related to my relationship with my mother? Well, you're just fooling yourself. Seeing. Yeah, you're just fooling yeah. yourself because you don't see what that relationship was really yeah. like. Yeah, so it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. For me, why do we have to tie these things to the Enneagram, right? I mean, you know, yeah, there's there's something to attachment theory, object relations, so forth. Okay, again, I, I'm, I tend to be more skeptical than... Um, accepting you know most are uh, yeah i'm, I'm more, more skeptical on these things I'm, I'm cautious i'm cautious about anything that makes claims about childhood experience because they're really hard to test okay what are you going to do to you know take a do an analysis of you know one-year-olds right i mean you know so these things are suggestive and you know you can go back to the you know the bulby you know research and all that sort of thing and people hang a lot of weight on that and it's like yeah you know i've read some challenges to it and so but again that's besides the point why do we need to tie that to the enneagram and add a layer of complexity that's going to open up a lot of questions and challenges and open up a lot of potential trauma Inside Absolutely. of a workshop where you aren't, you don't have trained psychotherapists. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, you guys are, Craig, you're too young to remember back in the 90s when everybody was talking about recovered memories, mm-hmm. right? I met people whose lives were destroyed by being told, you know, by their therapists that they were repressing memories of being sexually abused and, you mm. know, uh, all this stuff. And, you know, ripping families apart. And then the whole thing turned out to be just a big hysteria. So, I, I, you know, we just got to be really, really careful and applying these things. Now, there's some people who seem to be doing good work about sure. this, right? So, yeah, you know, so again, I, I don't want to criticize it. But, you know, again, for me, it's like, yeah, you know, it's... It's making it really complicated. It's challenging in the wrong hands. It can be a problem. So Mm -hmm. eh, we leave it aside. All right. So finally, and this one shouldn't take long, uh, tri-type. Yeah, not even wrong. (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) What do you mean by that? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm... I can tell we've been recording too long. I'm starting to get a little cranky. Uh, so, so, so the the, the uh, famous physicist Wolfgang Pauli, uh, I think he was German, was uh, a, a peer of his, came to him with one of his students' papers and said, "Wolfgang, I, I, you know, Doctor Pauli, uh, I, you know, can you take a look at this for me? I I can't tell if this is really good or not." And so Pauli starts reading. The, the, the paper, and he says, this is not right. In fact, this is not even wrong, meaning that I just don't know where to start. There's no, there's no coherence to this. There's no, you know, I, I don't know where to begin to argue it. Now, yeah, ahead, but Mary. I think it's worth mentioning that, so first, we don't see a lot of value in the centers, right? And these uh, tri-type theories built on the centers, that we have one type on each center and we don't really understand after looking at it why that would be the case. It just makes not doesn't make a lot of sense. But on top of that, there are 27 
archetypes or yeah. uh, that are related to the, I mean, the tri-types. And those do kind of correlate to the 27 subtypes when we combine the strategies and the instinctual biases. So although a lot of people see value in the descriptions of the tri-types because they not only describe their main type, but other aspects that are not taken into account in their type by using the tri-type, we see that that can be done better using the subtypes. So we don't see the need for the tri-type, although, and we don't understand really the basics of it, but or agree with the basics of it yeah. more than understand. Yeah, it, it's built on a set of claims that we just don't think are you know particularly accurate, and so you know, and, and so the the idea the tri-type is a derivative of Oscar Echazo's idea of tri-fix, okay, and. You know, I'm trying to make my way through Achazo's book on the uh, trifix at this point where it's the Enneagram of fixations or something like that, the, the, the Enneagrams of the fixations. And it explains, you know, but, but he was talking about the three instincts, right? He was correlating each of the so-called triads with an instinct, and then he's saying that you have this, you know, a different fixation in each instinct or something. At least that's what I'm perceiving from the book so far. Well, that's not what the tri-type idea is necessarily. The tri-type has morphed into you've got one type in your head, one in your heart, one in your belly. <sighs> All right. Okay, whatever. I, you know, I just don't know where to yeah, go with that. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of, seems to be a lot of presuming things that aren't easily presumed unless you've already in, yeah. claimed them as truth. And then, and, and then so what, you know, and, and you see, I love, you know, I'm, I'm in some of these uh, Enneagram forums on Facebook or whatever. And I love sometimes to see people introduce themselves as, you know, I'm a, I'm an eight wing seven, five wing four, you know, two wing three, you know, sexual, social, you know, self pres or whatever. And it's like, holy crap, man, how do you keep all that straight? You know I can't even I mean? remember right. your name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, so. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, you yeah. Know, how many heads, how many angels can you get on yeah. the head of a pin? Um, I didn't know what that meant until you explained it to me. So. Um. <laughs> Well, in the, in the medieval times, there were debates, you know, they would get into these archaic, ridiculous debates about, you know, the nature of reality and metaphysics, and they would have arguments over how many angels would fit on the head of a pin. How big is an angel? How do we figure that out? How, you know, and so forth. Yeah. It's like, uh, kind of uh, useless. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's, I think that's, that's it for now. Uh, we may come across some other things uh, in the future, but... Um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, we would love to hear whether through Instagram or email or whatever, how do you find these triads useful? And perhaps what, what is something that we missed? We're, we're open to hearing that. So thank you all for... You are. No, no, Look, here's the last point I want to... <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
trying so hard. <laughs> Here's the last point I want to make. Okay. All of this is just the construction of models and frameworks. And all models are wrong. If these things work for you, that's great. Okay. We're just explaining why we don't teach them. Yeah, we're trying to make them useful for for as broad of an audience as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certain assumptions don't work with some audiences. Yeah, and it's not just business audiences for what it's Yeah, no, no, I'm not talking yeah, about business. I, I want to be clear because that's the accusation yeah. we get. Well, you, of course you can't teach this in business, but any other environment. Yeah. All right. Well, so long, folks. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.